Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hungarian Canadian physician and author, Dr. Gabor Mate, is known for his expertise in addiction, stress, childhood development, and the mind-body connection. With multiple best-selling books, he's reshaped the way we look at emotional behavior and well-being. One of Gabor's most profound quotes is, Trauma is not what happens to you. Trauma is what happens inside you as a result of what happens to you. In this interview with Stephen Bartlett, he takes us deeper into this message with his perception of gut feelings. But the problem for many of us is that we get disconnected from our gut feelings very early in life. No baby is disconnected from their gut feelings. Something happens to make us disconnect. What is a gut feeling from a physiological perspective? Because gut feeling is used as a word to describe, you know, an intuition or, you know. Well, real gut feelings really happen in the gut. In the Western way of looking at it, we tend to look upon the intellect and, and, and the intellectual brain as the only brain that we have. But actually, our, our brain is a far more complicated structure. And our heart has a nervous system which is connected to the brain up here. And there's a kind of knowing in the heart. Sometimes people say, I knew in my heart, and they did, if they're connected. Gut feelings are what all animals possess. It warns them of danger or when it's safe. And the gut is connected to the brain. The, the gut sends more connections to the brain than the brain sends to the gut. And the gut has more of the neurotransmitter serotonin in it than the brain does so that the gut things are here to tell us about what is safe and what isn't. And when the brain in the gut, and the brain in the heart, and the brain in, up here in, this, in the head are connected, then we're grounded and present and very alert and very aware of what's going on. But when childhood trauma interferes with those connections, which it does, then we start to just work from up here. And we can th think we can figure things just from up here. But actually, when you think about human beings, where did we evolve? We evolved for millions of years out in nature. How long does any creature in nature survive if they don't pay attention to their gut feelings? Throughout his work, Gabor highlights elements like that of the gut feeling that we often overlook but can have physical implications. Being too nice can also have a physical impact on our bodies. When our mind doesn't have the strength to say no to people, our body does it for us. This can often result in physical illness. There's two places to be very nice from. One is just genuine human compassion and concern for others, but you're still grounded in yourself. That's great. 
But a lot of people are very nice because they are afraid not to be. Because they weren't liked who they were, they weren't loved for who they were. Being nice was their way of getting the love and the attention they needed. Let me tell you a story. In, a, uh, in 1870, there was a French neurologist called Jean-Martin Charcot, who was the first one to describe multiple sclerosis, which is an inflammation of the nervous system, very debilitating. And Charcot said, in 1870, without any scientific research, but just from his own observation, that this was a stress-driven disease. Okay? Now, since then, there's been a lot of research to show how stress and trauma potentiate multiple sclerosis. And it's not even controversial. Not that any neurologist knows that. They don't get taught this stuff in medical school. But the research is there. Niceness, ALS, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, or known in Britain as motor neuron disease. There's been studies on ALS patients. They're extraordinarily nice. So um, there was a, from the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio, a major referral clinic, two neurologists published a paper at an international ALS or motor neuron congress why are ALS patients so nice? And what they described was that when people came to their office for diagnosis, before they met the physician, they had underwent EDX, electrodiagnostic testing of their nerves. And the technicians who performed the test would write on the side of the test, this person can't have ALS, she's not nice enough. Or I'm afraid this person has ALS, they're too nice. And the physicians, the neurologist specialists said, despite the shortness of their contact with their patients and the obviously unscientific nature of their observations, invariably, they turned out to be right. And then I called Dr. Wilburn, who did this study, and I said, what did the other, what did the other neurologists say when you presented this? They said, I said, yeah, we all noticed this. We just can't explain it. Since then, there's been a study where they've asked neurologists about their patients, and the answer is, all our ALS patients are extraordinarily nice. Now, what the neurologists don't do is they don't make the connection that that niceness is a repression of healthy anger and that repression of healthy anger plays a role in the onset of that disease. So it's not an accidental connection. Again, niceness can come from genuine concern for others, but that's not accompanied by an ignoring of yourself. You also care for yourself. Then you can be as nice as you want. But you also know how to say no. And you also know how to set boundaries. You know how to, and you know how to be angry if you need to be. But the niceness that comes from self-repression, that's the one that hurts. So my contention is, as I said earlier, when people don't know how to say no, the body will say no for them in the form of illness. Mm. And, for, and for a lot of people with serious illness, the illness is the wake-up call. Yeah. And they actually learn. And when they do, that can make a difference to the course of their illness. Sometimes, not always, but I've seen examples of remarkable healing when people learn to say no and stop being people pleasers. It's very stressful to take on everybody else's issues and ignoring your own. It's very stressful. That stress has a physiological impact on the body. Another external force that can cause unnecessary stress is social media. Gabor says it's not necessary to get rid of social media entirely, but when we diminish our attachment to it, we stop looking to the outside world for meaning and validation. And you also suggest removing the things from your life that will stop you from seeing yourself, like social media. Well, 
because that can be a lot of I can't remove social media from my life, but what I can remove is my attachment to it. For example, I don't have to look at the comments on all my talks on YouTube. Who says what? Who likes it? Who doesn't like it? You know, I'm not on Facebook. I don't have a, I have a professional Facebook page, but I don't administer it. Um, but people go on Facebook and who says what? Who likes me? Who doesn't like me? You know, they can wean themselves off that. So we may not be able to stay off social media um, to write my books, thank God for the internet, but I don't have to be attached to it. So it's, 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 it's using it, but not letting it use you, which is very hard. If I don't pay attention, rigorous attention to what's going on inside, and if I keep looking to the outside to give me meaning and give me um, validation, then I can lose myself. And that's what happened. When we eliminate the external search for meaning, we are forced to look inward. Achieving this inner peace allows us to have compassion and empathy for not only ourselves, but others as well. Of course, the people and things around us have the ability to provide temporary happiness, but true fulfillment comes from within and has a much more prosperous and long-lasting effect on our mental and physical health. Without inner peace, you're not going to be able to serve any of those goals properly. Mm. Or if you were, you do it at some risk to yourself. And so um, running around serving others in the name of this so-called higher goal undermines your inner peace. Then you're not on the right track. Inner peace is not a selfish goal. Uh, it's from a position of inner peace that we can speak compassionately and truthfully to others, that we can um, serve our other goals. But, you know, Eckhart Tolle talks about our inner purpose and our external purpose. And you stated a bunch of external purposes. And that's why there's the, this, I believe, mm -hmm. if I may pardon the, the diagnosis, but, or the analysis, but, but that's why that disconnect that you mentioned. Because the goals that you stated were largely external. Mm -hmm. And what are the internal goals? In a piece. Very good. Yeah. Now you have to put that into the mix. Because temporarily, when your book shows up as number one on the bestseller list or shows up at all, you feel some inner peace. <clears throat> but it's addictive. And uh, there's a wonderful physician and researcher, Vince Felitti, um, and he said, it's hard to get enough of something that almost works. <laughs> and... Uh, so, yeah, you can get that temporary inner peace, but look at the long-term consequences of the workaholism. It's not inner peace. I can tell you that. You know, I can tell you after long experience. It doesn't matter even how successful you are there. We started the conversation with this. It's never going to give you inner peace. Inner peace doesn't come from the outside. That's not a goal anybody ever handed to you. That's something that you have to come to yourself. But how can we actually achieve inner peace? An effective practice used is meditation. And one of the most popular forms of meditation is through controlled breathing. If we slow our breathing and focus on our body for a few short moments a day, we can become conscious of this subconscious bodily function and use it as a gateway to inner peace. To go back to the question of what people can do for themselves, they can learn to breathe. And Eckhart Tolle, a spiritual teacher, he says that 
rather than go to retreats and therapists, just take a f- few conscious breaths several times a day. If, 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 I mean, not that, not to dismiss the other, but that's more important than anything else. And interestingly enough, the Buddha, when he was teaching his monks, in fact, one of the Buddha's assistants, Ananda, asked him, um, Oh, holy one, do you still meditate? And he said, yes. And what kind of meditation do you practice, says Ananda? And uh, Buddha says, observing the breath. So in Buddhist meditation, and I'm not here to advocate for any particular pathway, and I'm not a practitioner of any religion, but hey, this this, this is a very wise man. Um, he thought awareness of breath as the most important portal into, into reality. In this insightful discussion, Matei demonstrates the path we must take to achieve inner peace. First, we must look inward for fulfillment, rather than outward. Second, we must understand that putting our own needs first gives us a larger capacity to help others. Finally, by utilizing certain methods, such as meditation, we can gain access to the consciousness needed to reach self-awareness, emotional resilience, and inner peace. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 